After a difficult, long primary season full of party differences and candidates accusing each other of this and that, the convention, of course, is an opportunity for everyone to come together and put aside those differences. That's the theory anyway, although having that conversation with a Ron Paul delegate down in Tampa this week might be a difficult sell. Nevertheless, that's the idea of the convention. The candidates have a job. They have to introduce themselves to America. Mitt Romney will be doing that. Paul Ryan will be doing that, his running mate. Uh, It's important, the speeches at the convention, also to try out the rising stars to see if America likes some of the new faces in the Republican Party. All that takes place at the convention. Speeches sometimes fly and capture the imagination of the American people. I'm very proud of our party tonight. This convention has shown to all America a party united with positive programs for solving the nation's problems. A party ready to build a new consensus with all those across the land who share a community of values embodied in these words. Family, work, neighborhood, peace, and freedom. Ronald Reagan in 1980. Family, work, neighborhood, peace, and freedom. Those pillars created a very big tent for the Republican Party, perhaps one of the biggest it's ever enjoyed. Other speeches, while aiming for the same place, end up casting the party on the fringe, as Pat Buchanan did in 1992, hurting, possibly killing, George Bush's chances at a second term. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war as critical to the kind of nation we shall be as the Cold War itself. But this war is for the soul of America. And in that struggle for the soul of America, Clinton and Clinton are on the other side, and George Bush is on our side. Pat Buchanan at the 1992 uh, RNC convention at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas, a very memorable speech that defined the party uh, not terribly well for uh, the generation of the or the decade of the 90s. But whatever the individual speech making. Collectively, the convention speeches are an exercise in a political party defining itself, trying itself out in an American public, a public that can be brutally honest, indicating whether the party has lost its way, is way too ahead of itself or right on the money in the November election. Joining us now is Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. How do you uh, sort of assess the Republican National Convention speeches as an exercise in the party defining itself, going back in the sort of broadcast memory of our listeners? Well, you know, it's been an ongoing experiment where the parties try ideas, they test things out, and there have been moments when uh, a candidate or some member of the party says something that's just way off base, like the Pat Buchanan example, that doesn't resonate with you know the middle of America, that doesn't resonate with what the center uh, is expecting. And there are other speeches like Reagan's speech in 1980, uh, which are just brilliant at uh, you know bringing broad coalitions together, and they can be very effective forms of television in the modern age. Uh, and so we have a wide spectrum to talk about. You know, there, there's these are captives of their time in many ways. You listen back to some of the speeches and this one, for instance, a very famous moment in the 1964 convention where Barry Goldwater speaks. Uh, now, I listen to this and I go, wow, that worked. But it actually missed the mark by a fairly wide uh, margin back in 1964. Listen, I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty 
is no vice. And let me remind you also that moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. Rhetorical flourish there from Barry Goldwater, but uh, fell flat at 64, certainly at the polls. Yes, uh, Goldwater's supporters and Goldwater wins the nomination rejected Republicans who agreed with Democrats on most issues, who were always seeking compromise, who were always seeking to be moderate. And Goldwater wanted to say that the party had to stand up for principles. It had to stand up for conservative ideas. And in the long term, Goldwater's you know speech resonates because that's what happened to the Republican Party. They did embrace conservatism and they did move to the right. Uh, but in the short term, it was a disaster. Uh, Lyndon Johnson devastated Goldwater, and that speech was used against the Republicans. It showed in 1964 that the Republicans were too radical, too extreme, and too dangerous to govern the country. So it was a short-term loss, but it was a speech that in many ways defined the party for decades to come. Well, let's listen to the speech from 1980. More than, more than anything else... I want my candidacy to unify our country, to renew the American spirit and sense of purpose. I want to carry our message to every American, regardless of party affiliation, who is a member of this community of shared values. Ronald Reagan in 1980, Julian Zelzer, what did Ronald Reagan understand that Barry Goldwater didn't in 1964? Because it very much seems, as history looks back, that uh, Ronald Reagan did the Goldwater thing in 1980 that Barry Goldwater wasn't able to do in 64. Well, he understood two things. First, he understood that he had to sell conservatives uh, to a very broad portion of the American public. He couldn't just appeal to conservatives. So this acceptance speech really invites a wide array of Americans to join the Republican coalition, and it sells conservatism not as extremism, not as the far right taking over, but in fact, Reagan argues, this is what mainstream America is all about. And the second thing is Reagan understands Republicans are are divided and conservatives are not the only Republicans. And so he gives this speech that offers a little bit to social conservatives, to anti-communist, neoconservative Democrats, to different parts of the Republican coalition and says that I am the person who can bring everyone together rather than just standing for one wing of the party. Back in, in uh, you know, the 1950s, you could hear very, very early on Richard Nixon uh, at the Republican National Convention, grooming himself for a candidate, uh, I imagine he anticipated in 1960. Here is uh, Richard Nixon. Our party, I say to you, is not a party of drift and self-satisfaction. The greatest moments of the Republican Party have been those many years in which it was progressive and forward-looking. We are conservative only in the sense that we keep what is sound and proven from the past. And of that, we are certainly proud. That's amazing to listen to, isn't it, Julian? Absolutely. Uh, the Republican Party was very different in 1956 than it is today. In Richard Nixon's speech and in Dwight Eisenhower's acceptance speech that year, it's all about Republicans being the party of the future. It's all about Republicans being the party that wants to bring everyone in, that wants to appeal uh, and hold together as much of this country as possible. And they're not talking about 
being conservative, they're really talking about being inclusive uh, while sticking to certain principles such as being skeptical of government. So it's a very different moment in the 1950s. The GOP is trying to rebuild itself after FDR and, and the Democrats had run Washington for so long and they're enjoying a very successful first term and getting ready for the 1960 campaign. And, you know, was Richard Nixon the definer of the Republican Party at that point or was it more uh, General Eisenhower? It was still Eisenhower. You know, he's a president we often forget, a two-term Republican president who, when he gives this speech, is incredibly popular uh, and is a Republican who is doing quite well in an era of, you know, democratic rule. And uh, Eisenhower, with his moderation, with his embrace of the basic framework of the New Deal, is uh, really the face of the Republican Party of that time. And uh, he, he did he succeeded quite well. Well, here he is, uh, Dwight David Eisenhower, as president, speaking at the 1956 Republican National Convention held at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. The compelling necessities of the moment leave us no alternative to the maintenance of real and respectable strength, not only in our moral rectitude and our economic power, but in terms of adequate military preparedness. During the past three and one half years, Our military strength has been constantly augmented, soberly, and intelligent. Our country has never before in peacetime been so well prepared militarily. What's extraordinary to hear in those words of Dwight Eisenhower is how we went almost uh, in a single step from the period where you couldn't imagine anyone but uh, FDR being president to where you couldn't imagine anyone but this fellow being president. And, you know, one's a Democrat, one's a Republican. One was a progressive New York politician. The other was a general. Absolutely. Uh, Eisenhower made the shift that set up Ronald Reagan uh, very effectively, in some ways more effectively than Barry Goldwater, who went too far right. And, And one of the things Eisenhower says in that speech is that the country has to stop being obsessed with the depression, that Democrats, he said, were literally obsessed with the problems of the depression, and he said it blinded them to the problems of the 1950s. And he tried to change the terms of the debate so that the arguments of FDR didn't resonate as clearly as what he wanted to do and what he was already doing uh, in in a new era in, in American politics. So uh, that transition was essential, and it kind of broke the lock that Democrats had established during the 1930s on Washington. So here's a question for you, Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. Nixon defined himself and really defined the movement around him as a confrontation with the Soviets. I mean, Richard Nixon, for all of his talk about progressivism in that uh, clip we played, was also uh, you know, very much a, a cold warrior a confronter of the Soviet Union, someone who used fear of Soviet advance and uh, an absolute mission to contain the Soviet Union as his total political identity. Was that a digression for the Republican Party or does that lead to Ronald Reagan, do you think? No, that was an essential part of the Republican Party. Barry Goldwater was about that, too, a fierce, tough anti-communism that emerges 
after World War II is very much what Richard Nixon uh, does. He is a kindler, gentler version of Joe McCarthy in the minds of some Americans. He can be quite vicious, uh, and, and he makes anti-communism a defining feature. Many Democrats are just as tough. That's a problem for him. In 1960, he faces John F. Kennedy, uh, who is equally as tough on communism. But, but for many Republicans like Nixon in 56 and 60, it is anti-communism. It's being tough on national security that ultimately is the trump card for the Republican Party to establish control of the White House and Congress. So who is Mitt Romney more like, uh, Richard Nixon or Barry Goldwater? And, uh, you know, put uh, Paul Ryan in that uh, category as well, thinking about, uh, you know, the next uh, four, eight years. You know, I'm not sure he knows yet. I'm not sure he's done a good job defining what you know, part of the spectrum he is on. Uh, I think in, in general, Romney's instinct is to be a coalition builder. I think he wanted to be more like Eisenhower Reagan in 1980, but at times sounds much more like Goldwater in 1964. And I think this convention is important and his speech is important. So we can see if he can pull off the trick that Reagan did in 1980, if he can have a Paul Ryan on the ticket, if he could appeal to the conservative delegates, yet give a speech and send a message that resonates with a much broader portion of the American public. That's what he wants to do. Uh, and I don't think he's quite been able to find how to say that yet. Is the Tea Party movement within this Republican convention more like the 64 convention attempting to define itself on the right? The Tea Party's always been there. It's in 64. In 1980, it was there. So the question isn't, is the Tea Party, is the right wing there? Uh, there's always a right wing. The question is, can the candidate uh, bring them in, but bring many other voices mm. in the Republican Party in as well? That's the trick. That's the thing to watch, for sure. Uh, Julian Zelizer, professor of history and public affairs at Princeton University. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here and maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>